I can make you over. Make you into the kind of man you've always daydreamed about. The kind of man women want most and men want most to be. A hunk. Handsome. Tanned. Toned. Rich Bradley. Successful. Admired. What's all this going to cost me? You're so silly, boy. It's the age-old question, what are you willing to give up to become irresistible? We're still up all night, and this episode, we watched Hunk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to USA Up All Night with me, Aranda. Hi, I'm Gilbert Godfrey, the comedian in the cupboard for USA Up All Night. In this movie, you'll see two of your favorite stars. Now, if you drink enough beer, you'll start seeing more of your favorite stars. Stay with me on USA Up All Night. Welcome to Still Up All Night, the best, the first, the only podcast that celebrates the films of USA Up All Night. I'm Travis Yates, joined by my handsome co-host, Rob Katie. Rob, how's it going? Oh, it's going great after that compliment. <laughs> Just made my day. Well, uh, we've got a devilish good movie this episode. It's a film that poses the age-old question of what would you sell your soul to the devil for? And we're talking about 1987's Hunk, a unique twist on the body switch movie because it is technically a body switch, but the soul remains the same. Rob, initial thoughts on Hunk. Uh, you know, I, I had a couple instances during watching where I, I have a recollection of having seen some of this. I, I don't think I ever watched it start to end, but uh, do remember a few scenes. Um, I, I did, you know, like it, I guess. I didn't love it. Um, certainly more entertaining than, than some we've watched. Uh, but, you know, I guess it falls into the generally bad, but not so bad it's good, but really not that bad. <laughs> so a, a teaser, stay tuned to find out if, if Rob will suggest if this is worth staying up all night for. But um, when we first selected this movie, Rob, the only thing I could think of was Dr. Steve Brule um, when he you know calls people a b- bunch of hunks. Yes. <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, I did some digging and I, I couldn't find... A soundbite of him doing it without, like, I think it would have taken way longer than I was willing to commit. Yeah, there, there's not a whole lot out there on YouTube, unfortunately. I did the same thing, sadly. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, believe it or not, Rob, this film has ties to the golden age of Hollywood. So, so Hunk was distributed by Crown International Pictures, a production and distribution company that dates back to 1959 when it began distributing and soon after producing low-budget B-movies. Crown was founded by Newton Jacobs, who was a studio head at RKO Pictures until 1947. And RKO, of course, is one of the big five studios from the golden age of Hollywood, and it produced one of two of the most iconic films in cinema history with King Kong and Citizen Kane. Oh wow! I that's all new information to me. Yeah, it's so just... there's a there's a very unique tie-in with the American Film Institute's number one film of all time, Citizen Kane. It's uh, not too far of a degree of separation to Hunk. 
if you can believe that. <laughs> so films released by Crown International Pictures would become a staple of drive-in theaters through the 60s and 70s. And Jacobs ran Crown International until 1988 when he died in a motorcycle accident. Hunk would actually be the last film released under Jacobs' regime there, and the company would only release two more films. Ready for this, Rob? The first, My Mom's a Werewolf, (laughs) a.k.a. the film we covered in episode two of Still Up All Night, and then Malibu Spring Break was the final film that it released. Well, in their honor, I wonder if Malibu Spring Break is on... The, the docket for USA Up All Night. Well, weirdly, there was a large gap between uh, My Mom's a Werewolf, which obviously was made in 89, and then uh, the Malibu break was made in uh, like 2003. So that's a, that's a really weird, I wonder if they, I'm not sure how that came to be after a you know 13-year yeah. span. So, but because it was so far removed now from from this film, I didn't bother to go down that rabbit hole. Well, I I, I don't blame you for that. Um, so, Hunk debuted on USA Up All Night on April 9th, nineteen eighty nine, as the first film of the show. It would air. Ready for this, Rob? A total of fifteen times, with Whoa. its last airing on February thirteenth, nineteen ninety eight. Now, Rob, we've discussed uh, before on on this uh, show, the shift by USA Up All Night in the mid-90s to more you know, serious movies with bigger budgets. Uh, but when you look at the lineup over time, it looks like in alternating weeks, they would still include a third movie slot in there, the 3 a.m. Eastern Time Zone slot. And, and they'd have these kind of more classic USA Up All Night films uh, like Hunk that ran in 98 um, that we've come to love so much. So interesting, yeah. interesting there with, yeah. with the lineup. Uh, Hunk was written and directed by Lawrence Bassoff, who was a USC film school graduate hired by Crown International to write and direct the 1984 film Weekend Pass. And Hunk would be the only other film on his resume, and I found very little info on Lawrence Bassoff other than these two films. Rob, did you uncover anything in your research on this guy? I did not. That was going to be my immediate question to you, if if you were able to find anything, because I I got nothing after after this. Yeah, we might have which to. Is, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, which is weird, because he he both wrote and directed this, and and to just, you know, <clears throat> vanish like that. Yeah, especially yeah. with Crown International, who they had a treatment. Somebody there at the studio wrote a 14-page treatment for Weekend Pass and then hired Bassoff to, or Bassoff, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but hired him to to then write a full screenplay and direct it. And so they obviously went back to him three years later. They must have been happy with Weekend Pass to bring him back on board again. So very odd in the in the heyday of you know low-budget B-movies, uh, mid-'80s, from between 84 and 87, no work, nothing on his resume, nothing. So very interesting case there. We might have to dig a little deeper into that. Yeah, and I, and I wouldn't think, you know, based on on viewing this, that that you know that that would warrant. Like, there's there's clearly we we've watched a few movies when the director vanishes uh, not too long after, and it's it's very much understandable. And I, I definitely wouldn't put this movie in in that category. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Uh, so Hunk was released on March 6, 1987. It earned $1.1 million its opening weekend, and it grossed $1.7 million worldwide. 
I couldn't find a budget for the film, but I can't imagine that it topped the gross, so probably a minimal earning for Crown International here. You know, I thought the film looked really good, um, so there had to be a decent budget. What did you think? Did you find anything on the budget? Just basically the same numbers you found. I, I couldn't find, just despite some pretty reasonable searching, anything on on uh, you know, what it cost to make. And, and yeah, it's hard to tell judging because, you know, certainly um, a few of the people in the cast had some, some reasonable credits under their belt. Uh, but still, just from, you know, the, the look of the film, it, there's no reason why this wouldn't have made a profit. You know, none of the, the special effects or scenes were really outlandish. Um, you know, it generally took place in one area the whole time. So, you know, they certainly saved on that. Um, but, yeah, unable to find, uh, you know, a, a, a base cost for the film. Well, let's dig into the cast, Rob. You mentioned uh, some recognizable faces, if not names, at least the star, John Allen Nelson. He stars as Hunk Golden, which may be one of the best names <laughs> that we've had um, on USA Up All Night. Uh, it's like uh, when when someone is asked, you know, take the street you grew up on and you know, your your dog's first name and that's your you know your porn star name and you come up with something like that. Absolutely, that that hunk golden is just so funny. Um, and he, he, apropos that he's named that because he is he is as Steve Brule would say quite the hunk. Um, <laughs> You know, Nelson's career reads like a true Renaissance man. He's got he got his acting break on the soap opera Santa Barbara playing Warren Lockridge. You know, that's such a soap opera name as well. Um, <laughs> well, it's akin to the the names of the yuppies in this movie. Yes. You know, the <laughs> yeah, the Skeet Meckleburger and and uh, God, what was the other guy's name? Um, uh, Coaster Royce. Yeah, yeah. That oh, that's great. <laughs> Uh, Hunk would be Nelson's first feature film and then after Hunk he would co-star in Killer Clowns from Outer Space an uh, all time classic yes, if you haven't yes. seen it uh, from there he went on to the role that I know him from John D. Court in the early seasons of Baywatch um, oh, not, oh that's a, right yeah ah. now you're yep now you're playing I'm yeah. not ashamed to admit I was a Baywatcher um, and uh, Rob Nelson also tried his hand at screenwriting. He co-wrote a couple martial arts films, Best of the Best 2 and American Yakuza. And then he went on to co-write and co-star in what had to be a straight-to-Skinamax movie with criminal passion. It's described as an erotic thriller, and it co-starred Joan Severance. So I assume, of course, it is that yeah. that was a that was a straight to a, a ten o'clock time slot on Saturday Night Cinemax. And then finally, uh, he's Walt Heller on the TV series Twenty Four. So hmm. he's been in a ton of other shows and TV, TV movies as well. But those are the highlights. So, whoa, whoa, whoa! I wouldn't say highlights. You got to give a shout out to Deathstalker too. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of his. That I think is where I I probably most um, recognize it from. It's actually sorry. Meaning two is in T O O, but it was the, the third <laughs> Deathstalker movie, the Clever. Warriors from Hell. I think that might have been my sort of knowing introduction to him. Okay. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the the best of the best two is is okay. But uh, if you haven't seen the original, oh, it, so good. It, it, 
Yeah, so good. Yeah, Eric Roberts just screaming, pop it, pop it, pop it. I think, yeah, yeah. In fact, I think we've referenced that scene before on this podcast. I don't, maybe it should <laughs> be referenced every show for, for all I care. Yeah. Um, okay, so Steve Levitt plays the nerdy character Bradley Brinkman, a.k.a. the person inside of Hunk Golden, which we'll get into all that here in a, in a little bit when we break down the film. Uh, Levitt has a familiar face, Rob, but I think it's because he reminds me of Andy Dick. Yeah, you know, I went and I looked and, you know, saw his other credits and I can't say I remember him from anything really, although none of the credits were really movies that that kind of or or shows that jump out at me. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, you know, he he had a pretty steady resume through the 80s with roles in, in movies uh, like Private School and Last Resort and the TV movie The Incredible Hulk Returns, which would have been on my radar. So that might be yeah, why he's that, familiar. Yeah, and he, and he played Donald Blake in that. So it, it, it feels like I should remember him, but, uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, he also had some one-offs in TV shows like Hardcastle and McCormick and 227. Uh, but the last credit to his name was in 1991 with the TV movie Danger Team. So Levitt just kind of fell off the, the scene after the 80s, which, you know, he seemed like such a classic 80s kind of actor. Uh, did he yeah, yeah. He just he, his whole look just fits. And I, and I could easily see him, you know, in any of the movies we've covered. And, and I thought, you know, he's a decent actor. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I I didn't find really any performance in in the movie to be um, bad at all. Yeah, they they all very much uh, filled the role that they were you know meant to play in this. Yeah, yeah, there was some back and forth with the direction of the film that I think might have might have hurt them a little bit. But again, we'll we'll get into that in a bit. So we have two female leads in the movie. We have uh, O'Brien played by Deborah Shelton, and she's got a long resume of film and television dating back to 1976, but she's perhaps best known uh, for her three-year run on the original Dallas series from 1984 to 1987 as Mandy Winger. So a good get for the movie here, too, to grab a, grab a, somebody right off the series of Dallas, which in 87 was still at a pretty popular place. Well, yeah, you know, the same to be said of, of John Allen Nelson, you know, being on a soap opera, and yeah, they... Yeah, seem like good gets and, and potentially draws for, you know, the right audience. And then finally, Rebecca Bush plays uh, Sonny, the therapist, and, and she looks awful familiar, but she's mostly had one-offs on a host of TV shows, including Full House, Frasier, and Empty Nest. Her last role was playing Florence Henderson in the movie based on uh, Barry Williams' book, Growing Up Brady. Uh, Williams, of course, played Greg Brady on The Brady Bunch. So, you know, like most of our uh, Up All Night films, Rob, a host of TV actors here perhaps looking for <laughs> a breakout role in feature films. Yes. Yeah, and, and she looked familiar to me when she was, you know, uh, the doctor. But uh, when the movie ended, and, and I believe I'm correct in saying she was the princess. They kept the same actress, right? They didn't. Right. They didn't credit her as that. But yes, it was yeah. her. Yeah. Okay, I thought so too because she, she didn't look. You know, they, oddly enough, one of those situations where they changed her hair up and <laughs> took off the glasses, and she, I was actually like, wait, is that the same person or not? <laughs> right. 
Uh, well, let's just jump into this then and, and make sense of what's happening here. Our film opens up with John Allen Nelson, a.k.a. Hunk Golden, waking up in his beach house, and we get a montage of him lathering up in this outdoor shower, rubbing down his abs, you know, pulling up his pants, blow-drying his hair, kind of reminiscent of, you know, that montage at, at the beginning of Hot Times at Montclair High, but just with only one guy. <laughs> Um, but but also set to a completely awesome on the nose theme song. Oh, this is real man. Yeah, with a fake Aretha Franklin, Mendy Lee sings "Get My Hands on a Real Man," and uh, who it was great. I mean, yeah, Hunk jumps into his cherry red Maserati, and now it's a driving sequence and a hilarious one. As you know, ladies, everyone are just stopping to watch him drive by. Two girls run into each other crossing the street. One lady stops while like walking with her husband or boyfriend, and the guy has to like come grab her and <laughs> to pull her away. And then a trio of ladies just like drop their shopping bags, and uh, you know we just know we're in for some good, real '80s goodness with this opening sequence. Well, I love too that you know that's totally like the the gender swapped version of what typically you know the in these movies where the guys would be like arriving on the beach for spring break and at every turn, you know, beautiful girls would be walking by in their bathing suits and they'd be doing exactly what all these women were doing. So yeah, I enjoyed that, that little moment. Yeah, I did too. And you know, we talked about it before the show. This is one of the reasons why we picked this movie is because it seemed to kind of, uh, switch the, the genders that we're, we're used to, um, seeing exploited here and yeah they didn't it didn't take long for them to exploit john allen nelson's body <laughs> in that opening yeah, yeah. sequence uh we got to see up close and personal there with uh with with quite the hunk so um but hey man full credit to him he, he's oh, definitely a good looking dude he looked amazing absolutely so hunk goes to a therapist's office and that's where he meets uh dr sonny graves played by rebecca bush and uh he explains to her that he and bradley brinkman are almost out of time and the therapist says i'm listening mr golden in what appeared to me to be a failed jaws zoom effect you know where the foreground <laughs> object stays the same but the background gets closer uh, it looks like they tried it for that shot, but it didn't quite work, but they kept it anyway. It was kind of jarring, but. Well, I love, too, the effect where, where even though they're in a totally well-lit doctor's office, his face is is shadowed the whole time, even though you can, you know, clearly see, clearly see him. It's yeah. still well, shadowed like, oh, you can't quite tell how good looking this guy is. Well, and I also... Uh, I started to wonder if, you know, did this movie get so deep that we're already getting an implicit message, you know, that he's Bradley on the inside. So, you know, he feels faceless, you know, like they covered his face intentionally with a shadow to to and maybe I was probably reading too much into it. <laughs> but from the critic standpoint, I'm always. Uh, trying to to find those those implicit messages that are being sent yeah. to us as viewers and and uh, you know possibly that that could have been a choice made there but so maybe yeah. Maybe, yeah okay so in a flashback we meet the the real uh, Bradley who works as I think a computer programmer uh, his boss Constantine Constopopolis Constopopolis did I say that right of Constopopolis oh. computers I love the Con name yeah. <laughs> Constapopolis. There it is. Yes. Constapopolis computers. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm like yourself, very confused by the computer programming because it, 
it somehow sounds like they computer program, but the output is a book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was really confused by it, too. Yeah. Um, so uh, Constantine Constopopoulos is admonishing uh, Bradley's poor work because he hasn't been the same since his girlfriend left him for her aerobics instructor. And, yep. um, you know, Bradley types into his computer that he'd sell his soul for a money-making program. And uh, this ominous bird appears on his screen, and then all of a sudden it starts pumping out a program called the... Yeah, y- I, I, I want to say it was some sort of um, Egyptian okay. uh, symbol, but I, I, I haven't been able to confirm that. Yeah. Uh, it was the Yuppie program is what it ultimately popped out, and it was a multi-compatible lifestyle budgeter. And uh, this thing was like soup went super big and Brinkman got a huge royalty check in the summer off to go write whatever program he wanted for Constopopolis computers. Um, so, so that's how we get to the beach. And uh, so uh, Bradley rents an old beach house on Sea Spray Beach where the rich and the beautiful hang out. And uh, this is where he meets resident busybody Chachka, who takes yeah, him. Uh, <laughs> perfect way to put it. The resident busybody. Yeah. yeah who, uh, who there at the end? I want to circle back to to Chachka, but uh, she takes him on a sea spray beach tour and introduces him to an obnoxious group of yuppies. And even though well, they not before, um, you know, getting a five finger discount from something in the house. <laughs> oh right, yeah. She collects trinkets and what? What did you, I can't Chachkas? Yes, yes. Um, hence the nickname. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the yuppies, even though they treat him awful. Uh, he wants to fit in with them. So he goes and maxes out his credit card, fixes up his beach house rental. He goes to the local nightclub and invites everyone to an open house at his beach house. And uh, he's also having these visions of a beautiful woman first on the beach and next at the club, but he's the only one that can see her. And so you're like, what's going on with, you know, with, with this, he's, he's dancing with her in the club, but he's not. And, um, Kind of Which was a great a great scene, just having him, you know, do that dance, and then of course they they cut back to someone else's perspective, and it's just this you know <clears throat> random lone guy out on the dance floor grooving by himself. Yeah. So of course uh, the next day, no one shows up to the open house, and while Bradley sits despondently, uh, the woman shows back up and introduces herself as O'Brien a black magic sorceress and offers to make him a rich, successful, handsome hunk in exchange for his soul. And she calls it a summer trial offer. And if he's not satisfied, he can have his old body back. But of course we know it's never that easy when dealing with the devil and, you know, some sort of shenanigans will ensue. So I have to, I have to rewind real quick because there was a, a special nugget in this movie Yes. Back back on the beach when he is first introduced to the the local yuppie crew, all of course with amazing yuppie names and and um anyway, in the background is Brad Pitt's first film appearance as an extra on the beach. It is a blink and you'll miss him moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but it it is it is most definitely Brad Pitt. You can clearly I clearly see him. Yeah, uh, good catch, Rob. Um, 
it's a hunky beach, obviously, because Brad yeah, Pitt's even there. Beach. So, uh, yeah. All right. So the next morning we get the big reveal. And Rob, I just love the way this is shot. We see uh, Bradley face down on the bed in a newly designed bed. Um, it's Bradley, but he's tanned and muscular. And when he sits up, we only see him from behind. And this, of course, is now John Allen Nelson. And he is just ripped. I mean, his back is just ripples of muscles. And he. Well, run- I mean, you 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 skipped over the uh, the transformation scene, which was was pretty great in in of itself. It's it's you know Bradley laying there sleeping, and suddenly, um, you know, I don't know the I don't even know how to describe how how poor the special effects were, <laughs> but you know, basically this <laughs> this fake body gets pumped up with air you know, to give the appearance of him gaining muscle. And then, of course, they have to zoom into the package and expand that area as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I did I did get a kick out of it. Though. I don't I know if we'd fun. say special effects, maybe just effects. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of special about it. Um, so, yeah, the he now runs outside, and um, as he, he turns to the camera, but he's, now he has his hands over his face, and then he slowly turns around, and we get the close-up of... Nelson's chiseled face as he explains, O'Brien did it. So what'd you think of this whole sequence of the reveal of Hunk Golden? (laughs) Yeah, like I said, it just was was goofy fun. I appreciated it, uh, you know, that they actually made an attempt to show the transformation. (laughs) I I think they have to get credit for that. And then, of course, you know, him, you know, stretching and then realizing, wait a minute, I'm jacked and like feeling the muscles and running outside. And then, of course, encountering a mirror and being like, whoa. Right. Yeah. And uh, he, you know, he, he finds his driver's license, and and that's where he learns that his name mm. is Hunk Golden. Yeah, and, and I, I appreciate too that they uh, didn't didn't even attempt to play that seriously. Like even he goes, "Oh, geez, right?" You know, like this is a ridiculous name, but. And I love that he stuck with it. Like as he goes yeah. and introduces himself, he's like, "My name's Hunk." <laughs> he didn't want to go with anything else. He's just gonna stick with Hunk. So uh, Hunk goes for a walk on the beach here in his new body, in a Speedo, of course. And uh, he runs back into the same yuppies, and they challenge him to a volleyball game. And um, Hunk is now apparently good at everything, and he he embarrasses one of the yuppies, Skeet Mecklenberger, who you mentioned earlier, um, who was a former Dallas football player in the in the narrative here uh skeet goes after hunk and hunk uses his his uh, newly minted uh, martial arts moves to block skeet's punch and knock him out in one punch in, in one response punch. yes yeah <laughs> oh and and we, we've got to frame it with skeet was like what was he a, a former nfl player yeah dallas so like dallas football meant player to not be a slouch right you know to show the the prowess displayed by hunk here yeah uh, so later that night, Hunk throws a party, and of course now everybody shows up, and uh, Skeet's girlfriend acts like she's angry and drags <laughs> Hunk into his bedroom, only to throw him down on the bed and thank him for you know putting Skeet in his place. And then we have to talk about this vibrating bed. <laughs> There's a big box that controls Hunk's bed with labels like Get Crazy, Vibrato, Spin, and my favorite... Uh, jiggle dash o get it jiggle o uh what what'd you make of the the vibrating bed here as hunk gets his first uh lady 
Well, the whole the whole scene is just you know, th- this is when you expect the the traditional turn to uh, a a normal USA up all night film where you expect you know the the nudity to kick in, and of course it doesn't, and it and it plays the scene for comedic effect where <clears throat> you know they're both vibrating as she ups the ante on the bed and cut to Chachka outside <laughs> at a table, you know, trying to get a snack or something. And the whole table and she both starts vibrating too, because apparently it's that intense. Yeah. That's, that's great. It's just shaking everything on the deck. It's, it's hilarious. Uh, so we get a montage of hunk living his best life as a bachelor with, you know, women that just throw themselves at him. Oh, hold on. Oh. You got to go back to that same evening when O'Brien shows up and and gives the the rundown of of Hunk's new I guess abilities and prowess as as Hunk. Do you remember this? No. Oh, she says uh you have the thighs of Sly Stallone. Oh, yes. The pelvis of Elvis, the navel of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the nipples of Robert Redford, the eyes of Paul Newman, and the schlong of King Kong. Oh, God. <laughs> That's right. It was what you call it, body body reformation training or something like that. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, he like he'll never get fat. He can outdrink mm-hmm. 12 men. He's a master of every martial art. It's, you know, basically, he's, he's become a superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, in every possible way that any sort of red-blooded, you know, man would want to be. Yes. Um, so then right after that, now that we see that, that Hunk is, you know, is the superhero, uh, that's when we get the montage of him doing, you know, taking advantage of all of that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but then we finally meet the devil um, <laughs> named Dr. D and dressed like Attila the Hun the first time we meet him. And uh, he goes on a long diatribe about he's traveling through time to keep evil, go- to keep evil going, and there's yes. been a shortage of um, of evil since the Crusades, which I thought was a funny line. Um, <laughs> and uh, he he needs Hunk to to help him assist some of the baddest people in history, and uh, he'll be back on Labor Day to seal the deal. Um, you know, yeah. What what was that quote where like, because he he comes from the past and he's like. In order for history to repeat itself, I have to, you know, keep evil going along all timelines yeah. or something, something yeah. to that effect. Uh, after the silliness of the vibrating bed and the, you know, the, the scene introducing all of his skills, you know, it looked like this was going to go the route of a, of a normal silly up all night movie. So this scene really just seemed terribly out of place to me. And, uh, you know, eternity in hell's bad enough. Did we need to up the stakes here for uh, poor Hunk? What, what, what did you make of the introduction here of, of the devil and, and kind of where they started taking this? Well, yeah, definitely uh, goofier than like an elevated level of goofy, goofiness relative to everything. We even the even the bed scene it sort of takes it, you know, to another level of kind of just goofy. I, I don't know how else to describe it. And, and it'll become a theme like every time he shows up. He's in a more and more ridiculous oh, outfit. So good. And, yeah. So remember, all of this is a flashback because uh, Hunk had been talking to Sonny, the therapist, uh, you know, in the beginning of the, of the movie. Uh, and so at the midpoint of the film, we kind of catch up to real time where, 
uh, Sonny wants to see Hunk in his sea spray habitat because she doesn't believe his story of the devil yeah. and Bradley Brinkman. So um, it feels like we start to kind of go off the rails here when Hunk and Sonny are on a boardwalk where a fake Robin <laughs> Leach, Garrison Gaylord, is shooting his TV show Filthy Rich. And uh, Gaylord's drinking on the job, and he gets in his Jeep, and it gets stuck in reverse, and it starts careening down the boardwalk, uh, knocking people off, uh, heading right towards Hunk and Sonny. And Hunk's able to stop the Jeep dead in its tracks. Uh, Effortlessly. Effortlessly. Right, yeah. Uh, Which then now finally makes Hunk uh, an official superhero. Um, Yes. But there's a big twist now because back at Sonny's office – uh, she and Hunk kiss, and then she's like, no, I can't. I'm your therapist. And so after Hunk leaves, it's revealed that the therapist has actually been O'Brien this whole time. All along. All along. Still trying to convince Hunk to take the deal by Labor Day, and that the Jeep stunt was just done to convince Hunk that, you know, here you can be this superhero. Um, and then uh, Dr. D, the devil, shows up, this time dressed up like a Nazi, of course. Yes, um, of course. <laughs> and be- bemoans about the good old days, which is so great, and uh, claims that O'Brien is in love with Hunk. He says, uh, you're in love with another one. And uh, O'Brien says, you know, I'll always come through for you, uh, just like I did when I hid Al Capone's safe from Geraldo. <laughs> <laughs> and then the devil responded, "Ah, oh, poor Geraldo. <laughs> Such a great I did exchange. appreciate that joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, having, having watched that live, I really got a kick out of, out of that line as well. Uh, what would you think of the twist here of O'Brien being Sonny the Therapist? So, I mean, I was blown away. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, you know, as I said at the at the start, I don't remember have ever having watched this from start to finish. So, yeah, that totally caught me off. I I thought it was going in a different direction entirely at this point. That that ultimately, you know, they would fall in love and and there would be some sort of side component of that. But didn't think it, they would add that extra wrinkle of her being O'Brien. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, they they did a good job of of keeping that a secret, and and uh, I appreciated that. And we get some additional exposition on O'Brien's situation here. She owes the devil a soul a century, and it's been ninety nine years since her last soul. So this is why Bradley Brinkman's soul is so important. And uh, the devil also teases turning O'Brien back into something, and she says, "No, not that." So foreshadows that we know something later is going to happen with that. Yes. Uh, so we get another montage of Hunk becoming a national celebrity after appearing on Filthy Rich. He gets endorsement deals, acting offer, fans lined up outside his home, politicians are calling him. He eventually tires uh, of it all and turns a garden hose on fans outside of his house. <laughs> and there's a great scene where uh, he's pulling into his home and the dejected fans are lining his driveway, frowning at him with their disapproval. And the camera zooms in on one guy who looks down at a hunk action figure that he's holding and like slowly <laughs> shakes his head and just throws it to the ground. So, that funny, best scene of the movie for me. Oh, best scene of the! I don't know about that, but I, I, I did like the scene. I did get a kick out of the, the uh, you know, sort of He-Man esque action figure he had, and <laughs> just you know, of course, dressed like Hunk with a a sleeveless blazer on and and the tie to go with it. But 
not having the physique to pull it off like Hunk does. And yeah, yeah I, I, it was good. Yeah, one of the things from earlier, O'Brien said, a Hunk has to set trends. And so one of the trends was ripping the sleeves off of a sport jacket and and going around with just that and a tie on. So yeah, yeah that, that a becomes skinny a, tie, a skinny tie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a running theme throughout the film. All right, so the night before Labor Day, Hunk is woken by Bradley Brinkman's body, who tells Hunk that they're keeping Bradley... Uh, his body in hell in escrow I love that and admonishes him for becoming a jerk and hosing down his fans and when Hunk asks how Bradley knew about that Bradley tells him they're running it on demon TV in hell and it's getting killer ratings Uh, (laughs) another great little one liner there Uh, so the clock is ticking here Uh, Sonny's goal is to keep Hunk awake past midnight but then introduced out of nowhere is the fact that the beach club is giving Hunk the key to the beach? I think it was, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think they. I think they had said key to the city, but okay. Know, up to this point, it was a. The city is is the essentially this stretch of beach. Yeah, you know, with the with the one bar slash nightclub. Yeah, in in ridiculous over the top ceremony that for some reason is also happening near midnight. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, de- during the ceremony, Skeet Mecklenburger, our yuppie from earlier in the film that uh, that Hunk had knocked out, he gets some revenge here and hits Hunk with the giant ceremonial key, uh, knocking him out. And uh, while unconscious, Hunk has a dream where he started World War Three on the beach of Sea Spray, and everyone he knows <laughs> is dead. And it's this comical scene of everybody lying on the beach and you know in kind of still frozen. You know, one gal still like checking out herself in the in the in her compact mirror, and uh, the final act is for him to kill his old body. And there's poor Bradley Brinkman, you know, strung up next to a, a the pier, and uh, Hunk begins firing the machine gun at him when uh, when he comes to at the beach club, and he's finally decided he's gonna go back to being Bradley Brinkman. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts on this uh, whole? Well, sequence? I'd love love how it first kicked off where he's he's you know on the beach with the devil and he's got the machine gun but instead of actually firing rounds he's like like a little kid pretending to to be (laughs) shooting (laughs) i was like wait what yeah there's there's a lot of things that that you could easily miss and it makes me think now going back to that earlier shot of with the shadow across his face feeling like it was purposeful it was Uh, intentional yeah yeah um all right so hunk and sonny rush back to the beach house now remember sonny slash o'brien uh and they rush back and meet the devil who has no choice but to switch hunk back to brinkman and and i guess was a very um unsatisfying climax (laughs) to 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 use that in a cinematic term because (laughs) like there was no face-off uh there was no big battle between anyone He's just like, I'm going to be Bradley Brinkman. And the devil's like, okay, you're Bradley Brinkman. Yeah. You know, so I, I partially appreciated that it was um, instead of like an actual standoff, more of a, a moral standoff of him, you know, sort of acknowledging the the situation and how, how it had changed him and he didn't want to change and he was better off going back to his normal self than living this life of luxury, knowing that he would have to pay eternally for it and result in World War Three, as they they keep alluding to. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's uh, you know not as as 
climactic as you traditionally see, but I appreciated the, the moral side of things. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, so because O'Brien failed to deliver a soul on time, uh, the devil has to switch O'Brien back to this lonely person that she was when he found her 900 years ago, as he says. And uh, she made the same deal with the devil that Bradley had made. But Bradley assures O'Brien she won't be alone. And when she's transformed, as you mentioned, she looks just like Sunny. And it's revealed yeah. that she was a princess who had a more beautiful sister. So she escaped and made the deal with the devil to become more beautiful. I was really disappointed with this. I expected, uh, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect that. What, what, what was your take on the reveal of Sonny here? The prin- I can't remember the princess's name, and, and they didn't credit uh, it her. It was so. like, I think, Lucilla. Yeah, okay. I, I think, yeah, and it's revealed her. she has a more attractive sister yeah. so that she ends up, you know, penniless. Like, there's no kingdom. There's There's nothing... You know, it's a it's an empty crown basically because of that. But now it's also nine centuries later. Yeah, there, I mean, there was they they tried to build that part up where he's you know offers them a second you know a six a, you could have an additional six months you know free of charge if you you know come back around to the evil side and they're like nah we're good and then yeah she becomes the princess and you know then yeah cut to them on the beach a little while later and they share a kiss and we wrap things up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bradley and, uh, Lucilla walking hand in hand on the beach with everyone wondering what happened to hunk and observing that, uh, Oh, hunk must've rubbed off on Bradley and then freeze frame on the kiss. But now something that caught my eye that I I don't know if they, they just threw this in for fun or if they were, uh, if this was just, uh, meant to be, but Chachka. Um, kind of gives a little wink there at the end, making me think, well, if the devil's in the movie, who else is in the movie? Oh. And was it Chachka all along? So, something to hmm. think about. Yeah, I, I missed the wink, so, yeah, I guess uh-huh. bad on it, me. It wasn't a wink, necessarily, but it was It was almost, it was like a smile. It was almost like she kind of... She, I'll have to go back like and the, look. Did she even? She might have even looked at the at the camera, but just it was the look that she gave that made me think. Wait a minute, there was something there. This is deeper than I think we <laughs> expected. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, we, well, yeah. I mean, cer- certainly not. You know, and, and we sort of discussed this, you know, for a moment offline that you know you, you go in with certain expectations. When, when you're approaching these USA Up All Night movies and, and this one doesn't fit the mold. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly when, you know, you would see, you know, this hard body on the beach, you know, you would definitely think along those lines, like, hey, we're going to be watching another hard bodies or last resort or, you know, teen sex comedy. And, and it, it, yeah, it has more, a little more to say than that. And, a few more, you know, winks at the at the audience, and, yeah. and maybe maybe as you indicated, a few more tricks up its sleeve, yeah. you know, directorially. Listen, we've got to track Lawrence Basoff down and answer these questions <laughs> because there's a lot to be answered here. Um, not sh- not a shocking ending here, Rob. We all saw it coming. Yeah. What would you think of the way it, it just kind of quickly wrapped up? Yeah, it, yeah, I think you summed it up right there. It, it did seem a little little. Uh, a little bit anticlimactic. While I did say I appreciated the sort of moral component, it did kind of 
you know, and sort of flatly, you know, as, as you know, but at that point you knew mm-hmm. they would end up together and, and share a kiss on the beach and that's how it would end. And, and, uh, I, I did just like the intro. I did appreciate the awesome end credit song, you know, total duet. Again. Look at us now. Right. Yeah. yeah like... Completely <laughs> describing what we're watching. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, Rob, Hunk's theatrical release was received with negative reviews, but let's find out how it's aged since then. Unfortunately, Hunk doesn't have a tomato meter score from critics. They oh, obviously man. didn't rush out to review this film, nothing from um, Ebert, but plenty of viewers did. So, Rob, I always ask you, what do you think the audience score is for Hunk out of 100 on Rotten Tomatoes? Man, I'm, I'm generally bad at this. Um, <laughs> You said it was not favorably. Let's go. Let's go thirty percent. Hunk has an audience score of twenty three percent. Oh man! Which is undeserved, if you ask me. Uh, let's check out a few of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes to find out what's going on. So Christopher M gives it three and a half stars and writes a ridiculous soul selling premise with a twister of revenge of the nerds. It's clear that no one had a clue what a computer even did, but they shoehorned a computer programmer as the lead. Half the movie is about failing to be a yuppie, and the other half about failing to be yourself. If you love 80s camp, you'll definitely get a couple laughs out of this. So an excellent review by Christopher M. As always, we can find somebody to do in one paragraph what takes us an hour to do on this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, well, he's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan D. gives it two stars and writes, Stupid story, but pretty guys. Even the computer nerd is pretty muscular. I don't know that I'd call him a computer nerd, though, since he writes programs on a word processor and prints them out. So I agree, Ryan D., and so does Rob, as you pointed that out earlier. Um, One of the problems I had with Honk is that uh, or, or with uh, the movie itself and with the Bradley character is that he was kind of like Ronald Miller from Can't Buy Me Love. I mean, yeah. sl- slap a little moose in his hair and he'd look pretty good. I mean, he's a smaller guy, but decent de- uh, muscular definition while walking on the beach shirtless. Certainly nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, you know, Rob, yeah, def- does this- definitely not what you would call like an unattractive guy. And, and you know, the actor, I think, almost did him a disservice like he he, you know he was he was better than that role would sort of offer you know an actor to be yeah do you think this qualifies as the classic trope of you know taking the glasses and and uh (laughs) off the girl to show that she's pretty um not really because i mean they they didn't you know at the end of the day they didn't change him at all he he became completely another human being so it wasn't you know there was no no sort of uh you know trope or trick involved in that they had to you know actually swap him out which which uh, you know is a statement on hollywood itself yes exactly (laughs) in all the other movies they have to they'll do the the glasses and the you know overalls (laughs) and bad makeup or no makeup but for the guy they're like no no we gotta get someone totally (laughs) yeah um, okay, so Brian J is pretty harsh with one star, writing, I love James Coco in Murder by Death, so when I saw this for a buck in a junk store, I bought it. It was not worth the buck, not even to see James Coco. I didn't know movies with this poor of a script and acting could get made anymore, even in the 80s. 
So Brian wow. must not have been a regular viewer of USA Up All Night, and uh, all. I disagree. I thought James. So James Coco, we hadn't mentioned yet, but he plays Doctor D, the Devil, in this film. I thought he was great. I mean, he always had a mischievous way of just delivering some clever lines. Like in the final scene when uh, he's prepared a final meal for Hunk, and he's serving Titan- Titanic iceberg lettuce salad, <laughs> killer tomatoes, and deviled eggs, and he just says it with such delight. I knew you'd get a kick out of that scene. And honestly, though, when he's first shown um, when Bradley rents the apartment and there's a picture of the previous owner who was a sea captain, Mm -hmm. I thought was a different actor entirely. And when they, you know, showed him as as Dr. D, I I didn't make a connection until Bradley was like, oh, you were the, you know, look just like, and I was like, oh, I don't think he looks like him at all. <laughs> well, the first time we meet him, the devil, he's dressed as Attila the Hun. So that might be one <laughs> reason why, too. I mean, he, he keeps changing uh, outfits so many different times. So, yeah, I, I didn't make that connection either until they made it for us. So, um, sadly, Coco died in February of 1987, just before this film was released. So Bummer. he never even got to see it in the theater. Yeah. But uh, but a real fun performance, final performance by James Coco, I thought. And then uh, finally, we, we always seem to end with confused reviewers. So Saifu um, <laughs> G gives it one star and writes, quote, one of the worst movies I have ever seen, perfect, with a smiley face. <laughs> so... <laughs> it's terrible, but it's also perfect and a smiley well, face. Well, maybe maybe that's a wink and a nod to USA up all night. Maybe movies. it is, but then it should get more than one star, I would say. Well, yeah, absolutely. Okay, Rob. So we've heard from the reviewers. Now it's your turn. Where do you stand with Hunk? Is it a movie worth staying up all night for? Well, you know, I think I'm going to have to say coming in to our discussion, I, I was going to say probably not, but... I, I think you you turned me around on this one with some of the points you made, and I'm going to say yes. Awesome. I, I think I think it has enough enough offerings to to entertain. Yeah, you know this wasn't certainly wasn't one of my favorite movies we've watched for Still Up All Night, um, but I'm going to say yes as well. Um, I found John Allen Nelson endearing at times as Hunt Golden. Um, I'm a bit surprised he didn't become a bigger star in the '80s, Rob. I mean, I, I, I am too. When I when I looked him up, I I feel like I have more memories of him in stuff that, than when I look at his IMDb, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, you know, maybe I saw him in that, but I didn't really watch that show regularly or anything. Yeah. Uh, I thought, and don't laugh here, Rob, but I thought he showed a lot of range in this movie because he kept switching between, you know, this vulnerable Bradley Brinkman and then also the suave hunk Golden. And so, you know, you kind of, he, he, you got some range here out of him. And, well, and uh, even even when he became um, tired of the fame and frustrated, like, I thought he sold that fairly well. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was also a big problem I had with the movie because the character motivations would constantly shift. So, like, mm. you know, he'd be mad one minute, but then he, right before that, he'd be enjoying it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And what? so one minute you feel sorry for him, and the next he's acting like a self-absorbed womanizer. Sonny went from telling Hunk she loves him uh, as O'Brien to devilishly turning on all the appliances in the house to ensure that he doesn't fall asleep and miss the meeting yeah. with the devil. So, you know, there... <laughs> 
part of that was the script, I'm sure, uh, which I mentioned earlier. So I think that um, you know they they only had so much to work with. But uh, yeah, the film opted for cheesiness, but you can also find some messages in here if you want. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah, certainly, becoming someone you're not. The trappings of celebrity worship was a huge. Uh, you know, message in this film, and uh, you know, I had some really funny moments, especially the banter between uh, the devil and O'Brien. So I, yes. I agree, and I'm glad that you've changed your mind, and and I say it's worth staying up all night for as well. Well, I, I think a good point that someone somewhere in in my research made was that uh, uh, Hunk uh, and, and his I just forgot his name um, would have made a great Captain America. Oh yeah. And, and to think, you know, around that time there, that a TV movie, Captain America, was made and, and you know, the guy, you know, was a was a tall blonde dude. Yep. I, I don't remember who it was, but he wasn't very good. And I, yeah, I think they would have found more success pulling Hunk in. Yeah. John Allen Nelson. John Allen. What, what, what could have been. He's just hung. Yes. He's just hung for you. <laughs> it's for just hung forever. For yeah. Me now. Just forever hung. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Rob, from one hunk to another, um, it's time to put a bow on this 1987 film. Any last thoughts on the movie? Uh, no, you know, I, I think I'll have to echo you know, what you said. There's there's a little bit more to it than, you know, when you initially walk in, you expect. And and even, it, you know, it takes some of this uh, discussion afterwards to go back in hindsight and and really see that, you know, there is a, a message there more more than you expect, you know, when you go into USA all, Up All Night film. That's right. We're doing it for you, breaking it down, finding the messages encoded within the Up All Night film series. Um, all right. So until next time, beware of any associate of the devil promising you fame and fortune. Nothing good can ever come from it, I promise. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Still Up Podcast, and we will leave you with another addition to the Still Up All Night soundtrack, Real Man by Mendy Lee. <laughs>